Our second reading is from the book of Ruth, chapter two. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Emelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Emelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves and the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go in to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed, her roast, he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epa of barley. Then she took it up, and she went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave to her mother-in-law what she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Would you pray with me? 
Dear God, we, uh, we kneel and sit and stand under your good mercy and your love for us this morning. We have just sung beautiful songs that remind us again of your power and your commitment and just how amazing you are. We ask and we would see your face this morning. We would w- want to know you. We want to understand what it is that you came to earth as a baby, particularly during Advent. We want to understand not only what it means to us here in this auditorium now, but how it impacts us as we exit later. Again, you know my brother and sister's hearts and lives, what burdens and joys they carry, and so would you speak to them through what I do now and what we do together this morning in your name, amen. Amen, well good morning and welcome to week two of Advent 2022. Again, the time in the church calendar we set aside to prepare our hearts in anticipation of Jesus coming as a baby. It's a time of reflection, a time of waiting, a time of longing, And again, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and we are going through the book of Ruth during this time as a church. Um, How many of you were here last week when we did Ruth 1? A good number, not everybody. So we want to start by reviewing a bit and getting all on the same page and up to speed. So let's review for a minute what we did last week. Okay, I said last week that Ruth is a particular type of literature, a genre. What did we say it was? Uh, a novel, a novella, a short story, or a, a play. You're, you're, you're more smart than you think you are. It comes strong. What kind of genre is it? Play. A play. It's a drama, right? It's in four acts. Fully two-thirds of the literature is spoken. And the reason I pulled the curtain was because I said both chapter, all the chapters open and close with the acts. So in a second, I'm going to pull back the curtain for act two, but technically we're on an intermission, right? Like between chapter one and chapter two. So we spent all week in an intermission and now we're back for act two. Did anybody potentially last week do what I maybe encourage you to cast the characters, pretend you're the casting director and come up with actors to be any of these characters? Anybody do that at all? No? Well, now you have something to do over lunch. You can do it now. Who do we meet last week? Some of the main characters in this drama. Anybody? Ruth, Naomi, Boaz. Who's Naomi? Mother and a mother-in-law, and she's a wife too, right? What happened to Naomi in chapter one? Good things or bad things? Very bad, very sad, very bad. Who's Ruth? Daughter-in-law. What happened to Ruth in chapter one? She became a widow, lost her husband. Bad things again. The, the bonus for Naomi was Ruth committed to Naomi, right? So that's a good thing that happened. N- Ruth and Naomi went to a, a, or Naomi and her family went to a country that was considered verboten. Don't go, don't be a part of this. Do you remember what the name of the country was? Moab, okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. So Ruth is from Moab. She went because why? They're having a carnival or they're giving away prizes or why did they go to Moab? Famine. famine. And famine in the Old Testament means good or bad things are happening in Israel. Bad things. Should they leave Israel and there's a famine? Should they leave Israel and go to Moab? But should they stay in Moab if they did? Or is there hope? There's hope because there's a key word. Return. And how many times is return used in chapter one? 
And what does that mean for you? Does that mean you can ever do anything too far from God? No. So let's say it again. Can, can you ever do anything so bad, go somewhere so far away that you cannot return to Jesus? No. no. Sermon's over. We're done with that. Yeah, amen. We should. That's right. Docile that tight. That's right. We also said that, that that word and then a couple of the reasons are why it's such a great book for Advent, right? One, a couple of the others were because it's a time of waiting and at the end of the chapter of Act 1, Naomi is desperately waiting and longing. And the, the book instructs us how to sit with somebody. Remember we said that the narrator did not hand Naomi the corrective theology for her deep longing and pain as she cried out to how God left her and abandoned her, but he sat with her and invited us to sit with her. And again, it's a great invitation to some of you who might be here this morning in pain and longing and waiting to know again that you are in God's story, not outside of it. We'll cover that again some in chapter two. Okay, you've come in from the intermission, right? You went out, you talked about all these questions, you maybe had a drink, you come in, and this is how act two starts. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Again, curtain just parted. It's an orienting sentence. Okay. Now, it's a little odd, right? You're like, okay, some guy named Boaz. And then the passage takes off from there. We find out it's the harvest, right? Remember, we had this hanging narrative question from the last chapter. Harvest is there. They came back and there's harvest. So that seems important. Ruth wakes up. Probably early on in the harvest, we believe and realize they don't have food. She looks at her mother-in-law, who by most accounts is probably depressed, maybe even immobile, one commentator says. And she says, I'm going to go get food. I'm going to go earn food. And she goes off to find a field to glean in. Now, gleaning is going behind the people who are threshing the bulk of grain and picking up the remnants to provide food for the poor. It's a standard practice in Israel. They're supposed to leave grain for those folks who are, who are gleaning. And while she's doing that, who should enter the scene? Behold, this is verse four, Boaz came from Bethlehem. What, in, the, in the original, the behold would be like, hey, guess what? Remember that guy just a few lines ago? Here he is, surprise. Now I did this book with my kids when they were young because that's what pastors do and when, I remember when the, the first time we did it, they looked, they said, oh, they're going to kiss. <laughs> Why? Because the, I, we talked about type scenes, right, with Jacob and Rachel. Here's a type scene. It's the meet cute of a romantic comedy. Here's the man and the woman. <gasps> it's a play. It's narrative tension. Ooh, what's going to happen? What we hear is that Boaz is this amazing man of character and standing, but he's different on the, play, on the stage, isn't he? Because in the first five verses, we had men. And what did those men say in chapter one? Were they even invited to speak in the play? Did they have lines? No, so you're, if you've tried out for a play and you're in the play, but you know it's better to have lines than not lines, right? Elimelech, Malon, Killing, not even allowed to speak. Boaz isn't just allowed to speak. I mean, he comes on with authority. He's coming in from there, the wings. He's like, just got all kinds of things to say. 
And one of the things we realized early on is we talked last week about, there's these, we said binary oppositions, right? Famine, harvest, obedience, disobedience. The men in chapter one, disobedient, not allowed to speak. The narrator subtly letting you know something in that. Here's Boaz coming on. Up to that point, you might assume men in the play of Ruth don't get to speak. But Boaz does get to speak because he's a man of obedience. How do you know? One, he's blessing. We'll come back to that. Two, he sees a woman he doesn't know gleaning in his field. He does not send her away because she's from Moab. He exhorts his workers, let her glean. This is Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner, the person who is not an Israelite, the person who is not an Anglican, the person who is not a Christian. For I am the Lord your God. If you look at Leviticus 19, there's a series of commandments, and that commandment becomes even before commandments, commandments about not lying or stealing. Boaz, a man of obedience, enters the play, and he gets to speak. Now he asks his men, who is this woman? One of my, I have these workers that I know, but clearly I don't know her. They tell her it's Ruth the Moabite. Boaz sees her and invites her into his entourage. One commentator says he invites her to the water cooler. How would you feel if you were Ruth? You, you, you're in a new country. You're going out to work. It's going to be hard work. You go to some field. You're just taking a stab. And not only does the, the owner of the land allow you to glean, which would be enough in obedience, right? Like that's still obedient during the time of judges. Not always what happens. He invites you over and he speaks to you. Boaz is giving to Ruth way more than the ordinary rights of gleaners. Foreigners in Israel actually were, were typically asked to draw water for the Israelites. So if you're a foreigner on the land, they might say, hey, would you please go water, bring water to all the workers who are Israelites as part of sort of us letting you glean here. What Boaz is saying is, hey, foreign woman, Moabite woman, come and get water with us. Let me give you water. Pretty astounding. How, again, if you're Ruth, how would you feel about being there? Protected, provided for. She works hard. All day for Naomi, she demonstrates this hesed, this loyal, loving kindness we keep talking about. In those fears, in her anxiety, in her, her energy, in her commitment, God provides for her and takes care of her by sending her to Boaz's field. She returns with this huge bounty of food for Naomi and lunch. She had so much at lunch, she couldn't eat it all, took it home. You have to wonder when the last time Naomi and Ruth had that much bounty, frankly, of grain. Maybe weeks, months, probably. And at the end, even Naomi is encouraged. Remember I said one of the marks of the first three chapters is each chapter ends with Naomi speaking. So as the curtains are closing, Naomi's tone is quite different than it was at the end of chapter one. Remember she who wanted to have her name changed. So, you're at the Kennedy Center. Curtains have closed. 
There's narrative tension in the air. You're back out at intermission. You've got your $8 four-ounce bag of M&Ms. What questions might you have at the end of Act 2? Because the narrator reminds you, Ruth's going to be there through barley and wheat harvest. So now we know there's another harvest in addition to the first harvest. If, so that's good food, right? That's, a, that's seven to ten weeks, probably from April into late summer. If Ruth gets the same amount of food she did on the first day over her days of working, the estimate could be that she might have enough grain for two-thirds, to a year, two-thirds of a year or a year of grain, which is fabulous, but there's still a time stamp on the back end of that, right? Like, that's still a year. Naomi used this word, one of our kinsmen redeemers. As I eat my M&Ms, I kind of wonder what that means. Johnny's going to cover that next week. And I'm kind of intrigued why the narrator wanted me to know this. Ruth lived with her mother-in-law. Raise your hand if you didn't know Ruth lived with her mother-in-law. Okay. And she lived with her mother-in-law. It's beautifully done, right? Because now you're asking, why did you tell me that? Oh, maybe they are going to kiss. so beautiful. I want to highlight four things like we did last week. Just four things about how Ruth 2 can guide our journey in Advent. First, Boaz. We'll get Boaz and Ruth, our key word. There's a key word in this chapter. And then the broader joy and fun God has with his story. First, particularly for men, but women too, because it does relate you're invited into God's Hesed story. And have you ever asked yourself, what does it mean for me to be a man of God's Hesed in God's Hesed story? What does it look like? Well, here in Advent, this year in Ruth 2, you see Boaz, which is a just stellar example of what it looks like to live God's Hesed in the world. First, he protects and provides for other people, but I especially want to focus on the way he enters the scene with his words. Again, he enters in, picture it to play. There's all this action happening, roost down here gleaning. Probably got some grain on the steps. And in comes this guy. The Hebrew, again, is man of standing, man of reputation and power. Sometimes the words are used of a warrior. It's the same way Gideon is described in Judges, but Boaz's character is way beyond Gideon's. And he enters blessing. He says to his workers, the Lord be with you. And they're so used to his relationship with him, they say, and also with you, essentially. They're all Anglican. Didn't know that, I bet, but they are. <laughs> may God, may Yahweh bless you. If you remember back all the way in June, for those of you who were with us when we did Genesis 1 for several weeks, and we talked about having speech. And that the ability to speak is a sacred and holy thing because it's what the Trinity does. You and I are invited in to be able to speak and communicate that way because it's what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit do together. And words, therefore, are holy. Using your words is a holy act. Again, it's part of being created in God's image. And Boaz enters the scene sacredly. He blesses Ruth, not just the workers. He finds Ruth, and he blesses her too. May you, may you, may you. He's clearly heard of her story and how her hesed is showering Naomi. And he blesses her. This is what he says. 
All you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You have left your father and your mother and your native land. Have we heard words like that anywhere before? Abraham. Anybody know what chapter? Genesis 12. Again, top 10 chapters in the Bible you should know. Genesis 12 is probably in the 10. It's exactly what said Abraham. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 4. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Boaz is noting and blessing Ruth's Hesed in such a way to tie her into that story. He's pulling this foreign woman this Moabite woman who's from the land way over there you and I aren't supposed to go to, who has demonstrated Yahweh-like hesed to her mother-in-law into Abraham and Sarah's family. For sure, other people in the field heard him say this. For sure, other people heard him position her again under the favor of Yahweh as a Moabite woman. Does it matter? For sure. Go back and read the text yourself this afternoon. Three different times in chapter two, the narrator reminds us that she's Ruth the Moabite. Again, raise your hand if you didn't know Ruth was the Moabite as chapter two started. Why are you telling me that? Because she's entering into the community and suddenly for her and us, we realize if you're staging it, she's gonna look different than everybody else. She speaks differently. If she speaks what we speak, she's probably got an accent that doesn't sound quite right. She used to worship probably different gods before she came. Her skin probably looks different than ours. Her clothes probably mark her. She probably voted for different people than we voted for. But because of God's hesed for her and her hesed to Naomi, it's clear now that she's been embraced and pulled into his family as a foreign woman. And the reason she knows that is because of the words of a man who is a blesser with his words. Boaz's name tag should say Boaz, speech blesser. Because what he does. So my brothers, for Advent and this week and your lives, if you're asking what's it mean to be a Hesed-like man under God's Hesed story, one of the characteristics is we bless others with our words, particularly women, as we affirm their character. Because that's what he affirms. So that's Boaz. Now Ruth in this chapter Ruth obviously is beginning to go from sort of two and a half dimensional, but in this chapter, she's really three dimensional. Think again, words you might use to describe Ruth in chapter two. For me, quick ones come to mind, hardworking, selfless, humble, strong, and of course, again, she's dripping in hesed, loyal, loving kindness to Naomi. 
And if we watch Ruth as sort of a primer on what's Hesed look like, we, we see Hesed can be hard work, right? Hesed for Ruth was hard work. She is up and active and vulnerable, working all day in the fields. It's frankly sweating, sweaty and exhausting for her. Demonstrating Hesed in the broken world is not always easy or a piece of cake. Matter of fact, it probably always isn't easy or a piece of cake. It's going to cost Ruth. It already is going to cost her. It's going to cost Boaz. Going and gleaning these fields actually put her at risk and made her vulnerable. You can see that from the way Naomi tells her, don't leave Boaz's field. Boaz said, stay here because she's at risk in someone else's field. Unbelievable woman, unbelievable character. She works all day, long hours for at least seven to eight weeks outside in the sun, six days a week. We get a sense of how much she brought home because we're told she brought home an ephah of flour. Anybody know how much an ephah is? Anybody using the measurement ephah at home for anything at this point in time? It's like using stone, right? I weigh eight stone. An ephah of flour is about 29 pounds of grain after it's been threshed. So she's been out in the field, bent over, then she brings it, and then she's carrying home 29 pounds. She's probably doing it every day. The Hebrew for that is girl boss, okay? <laughs> she's strong. And notice, where is Ruth practicing hesed? And Boaz, too, for that matter. Is she practicing hesed during a worship service? Is she practicing Hesed on some special prayer retreat? Is she practicing Hesed during a stellar sermon by a seminary trained clergy? No. No, she's practicing Hesed at work. At work. This whole chapter is about God's holiness at work. Manager, employees, men, women. This is a very everyday, made holy, a very Adventy, sacramental kind of chapter. It makes the earth sacred, what they're doing. Which is both compelling and convicting, right? Because we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, every Sunday to start worship during Advent. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, unless I have to live like a Christian at my place of work with the jerks in my officer's school. So that's maybe a little more... Doesn't sound as fun as just singing along. But Boaz and Ruth would, would say what we understood Hesed in God's Hesed story to be is we practice this at work with people who are different than us or foreign to us. People who are men and women. People of different ages because Boaz and Ruth are for sure different ages. We would pray, oh dear Father, help us be like Ruth and Boaz by demonstrating your Hesed in the everyday, not just during worship when I love communion or the first opening songs or actually, in, but instead when I go out as God's witness in the world. One commentator says, doing hesed, the ways in which we can manifest doing hesed are all around us, at home, at work, and in church to name just a few. The hesed that Ruth and Boaz do is a reflection of the type of hesed God does. And isn't it good news that God doesn't just do hesed when we're here at worship? But he could demonstrate and show his hesed to you on Tuesday or Thursday at night, 
morning at work, on the metro, in a car, in a meeting, over a spreadsheet. Ruth is, is demonstrating unsurpassed hesed, and she's doing it at work. Third thing, I bet you know the answer to this. What's the key word, the light word of chapter three? You heard it a lot. Bless, bless, bless. It's a blessathon. The chapter is a blessathon. It's not just Boaz. He enters in again. The Lord bless you, and they say bless you, and then Yahweh bless you, and Abraham and Sarah be like an example and a blessing to you. He says to Ruth. Why? Because Boaz is an obedient man who lives under God's word, who values women because that's what men do. Ruth says, bless you, sir. How can you give attention to me, a foreign woman? Why would you do that? Then she blesses Naomi with her actions. She brings home the grain. And even Naomi said, God, God says, God bless that man before she knows it's Boaz. And then she says at the end, this beautiful line, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. But wait, didn't Naomi just say at the end of chapter one that God had forsaken her? I mean, we're only through act two. What do you think is going to happen in the next two chapters? He has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi's been so pulled into this blessing, and Boaz has been such a blessing, and Ruth's been such a blessing, that Naomi is different. Let's say Naomi came to the women's event we have this Thursday night, and you're all there, and you know her, and you look at her, and you're like, gosh, a couple weeks ago, before the harvest, Naomi was really down and depressed, and she had good reason to be. But we've loved her and been with her. Again, we didn't hand her a systematic theology on how God doesn't abandon his people. No, we were with her in the presence, and we've let her be a part of God's story, and now she is different you would look at her and go, she is different. Dang it, she's different. Because that's what God's story does. That's what Hesed does. Then the last slide. Again, how can this chapter and this book inform our Advent and into a life of Hesed with God? This last one is, again, just noting because it's so important and so Beautifully done by the narrator, this idea of how God's ways are not our ways with these statements like it just so happens. These are the first verses again. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay? So she sets off, and it, she happened to come to part of the field belonging to Boaz. And then, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. The word behold there is often, it's a henna in the Hebrew, and it's often translated behold or surprise. Behold. Behold. It's the same word used for Leah when Jacob wakes up after his wedding night. And behold, it's Leah. Surprise, gripping, unexpected. And this is, in fact, how God says to work. Works. This week was the anniversary of the, the passing of C.S. Lewis, he, or his birthday. His birthday was November 29th. And Lewis has this great phrase, is that God is not scrupulous. God is not scrupulous, which means he can tell his story however he wants. You don't get to tell him. But I think he has fun. I think that behold is as much how God is having fun anyway. Like, 
I'm going to get Ruth up, and she's going to go to that field. She, she's not even going to know. And behold, there's Boaz, this man of standing and reputation. And part of being pulled into God's story is suddenly looking for an understanding. This is, in fact, how God works. I bet lots of you who have followed God before have those sort of behold moments. You've seen God provide, and it just so happened. I've got lots of them, and they, they deepen my faith when it feels like maybe God's not there. 2008, I was headed to Nigeria, and one of my best friends grew up as a missionary kid in Nigeria, and so I'd spent time talking to his mom and dad about what it was going to be like. I said, help me understand. For these 10 days I'll be there, what should I expect? And they were so great. It was just lovely, lovely, long time. Missionaries now retired. And my buddy was really happy to connect me to his parents. It was just a great prep. So I'm getting ready to go to the plane, and I go through Dulles, and I go through security, and I come up and I'm about to get on the people mover at Dulles, and I hear someone say, Dean. And it just so happened that my friend Jeff, who grew up as a missionary kid in Nigeria, was in town on business and flying back home to Raleigh, North Carolina, and saw me headed to my plane. And he knew I was leaving because I was praying for him. He's like, Dean. And so we, he had, there was like an, a, we had eight minutes together. There was like a 12-second window where we would have seen each other where he got to pray with me before I went. And he was super blessed because he was sort of sending me to Nigeria where he'd grown up. And I was blessed because I got to see my friend who was helping me understand Nigeria. And his mom and dad were excited because, oh gosh, Jeff got to pray with Dean before he went. Because it just so happens. That's how God's story works. I have a son who's in college in California, which we're delighted by and didn't want to do. Because that's what you do if you love your kids. And so we said to him, well, we will pray our way and see if that's where God has for you. And so we we're visiting in the winter over a weekend, and my son and I are driving up, and I said, well, let's pray and ask God to show us through the time whether this would be a place you should, should go. It's going to take several weeks before you would know, but I'd love to, I'm asking God to kind of confirm whether mom and I should send you out here to you know, bless you to go. So we're doing different things on that weekend, and I've got, I'm carrying my stuff around this campus. I'm like, I don't need any of this stuff. I'm just going to go put it in the car. So I send my son on his part of the tour and I go up to put my stuff in the car and I come walking down past this garden and I, I go walking past this guy and I, I stop and I turn around and I go, John. And he turns around and I go, Dean Miller. And he's like, no way. So John and I knew each other, our wives and us knew each other in grad school over 20 years before Back then, I had hair. It's not actually part of the jokes, but back then, I had hair. So John and I, again, had like a four-second window on that huge campus where he was going to come out of the garden. I was going to come walking back. John lives in San Diego. He asked why we're there. He has girls, daughters at this school. And I said, so he said, look, if, if your son comes here, Michelle and I, will, and he needs something, we'll keep an eye on him. Because it just so happens, that's the type of God you belong to. It's not just me. And I tell you that story, and I point it out here, because I want you to look at God and go, I'm open to whatever just so happens you want. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a story like that? This week, to go through and get pulled into something God needs you to do. Because 
Boaz saw Ruth, but he still had to initiate to her to bless her, right? He could have just been prayed for, dear God, bless that woman. But he initiated to her. And I had to say to my buddy John, John, right? My buddy Jeff had to say, Dean, across a crowded Dulles airport. And you might have a chance this week where you are, God wants to pull you into being that means of just so happens, but you might have to be ready for it and say, I'm gonna be bold. This play is a part of God's bigger play that you and I are both invited into. This great Hesed story. Let's pray. Dear God, first we want to give you thanks that you do not forget the living or the dead and for all the ways you demonstrated your chesed to this room full of people in the last week. Lord, I, I, I know there are people here who probably feel just distant from you or like they are desperate for you to provide an ephah of barley to them in some way. And we together lift them up without even knowing who they are. We offer them to you and ask you to fill them this week, to bless them in such a way that they can't even carry it home. And Lord, we do ask that you would go with us into this week, that you would help us be blessers in schools and in buses and metros and conference rooms and homes, on phone calls and in emails in such a way that would make you proud. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I just invite you to keep uh, reflecting on that word as we sing another verse of It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm.